So, so before we uh, get uh, started in our, in our time of uh, teaching as we look at God's word, let me just, uh, uh, just uh, give a special word of thanks to our guest musicians, uh, Kaylin Bird and Bethany Roberts. Uh, we have a wonderful music team here at Ironworks, and the, the, all our musicians, essentially, minus our drummer, are currently uh, gone. Uh, so we have our... Uh, like, for example, Angus and his, his wife Emily are in Houston, uh, Nate and Kate Gale, they are, uh, I believe, down in, at, in the Chesapeake, and others are just traveling. And so we are, we're very blessed and fortunate to have a very talented music team. And, but uh, Kaylin and Bethany have actually been involved in Ironworks to one degree or another since we started two years ago. In fact, uh, you do not know this, but as you, you actually, every single time you're in here on Sunday, you see Bethany's fingerprints. Want to know how? She picked out the paint color. Uh, it's just funny. Uh, so uh, Kaylin and Bethany, they're members at, at City Church of Wilmington, uh, one of our uh, partnering churches. It was a church where I was on staff at uh, before coming, uh, being here at Ironworks. And so we're very thankful to have them with us uh, today. And so I encourage you, if you're able to get some time seeing, uh, talk, chatting with them after worship, please do so. They've been wonderful cheerleaders of Ironworks uh, since before we even launched and opened, but even now uh, still. And it's wonderful that they are here today with us over this holiday weekend. So with that said, let's uh, turn to our time of scripture. So today, uh, last week, if you've been with us over this past summer, we've been looking at the gospel of Mark. And next week, we're picking up uh, a new sermon series looking at the, the letter of 1 Peter. But so today, we're just uh, taking a one day, one Sunday, and looking at uh, what it looks like for us to grow in Jesus Christ. What it looks like for us to grow in our Christian faith. And so the one of the texts that puts this in very clearly, that spells this out for us, is John 15, verses 1 through 17. And this is a, a, a verse that really highlights a theme that we've been looking at already this morning. With the theme that we've been looking at this morning is what it is abiding in God. That's where we started with our call to worship, that we abide in God. We looked at our call to confession, where, where Jesus calls us to abide in his word. And so what we are really looking at today, that what it looks like for us to grow in Christ, what that means is that if we are going to grow in Christ, we need to really abide. We need to dwell. We need to be remaining in God. And so we're looking at John 15, verses 1 through 17. Uh, you can follow along in your worship guide. You can follow along on the, the wall behind me. And I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it, bears, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you once again for this time. Be with us now as we look at your word. May we hear your voice. May we clearly see that how you're speaking into our hearts, and may your spirit be at work in our hearts that we would always walk and follow you. In Jesus Christ, and name I pray, amen. So as I, I shared a few moments ago, we're, today we're taking up this idea, how can we grow? Or let me just rephrase the question, how can we change? This is the, the question, this is the idea that I want us to really think about this morning, and so let's just dive into this question. Let's dive into this question. Just think about what does it look like for us to change? And so you know, let me just point out a simple reality. And this is our first point. Change is hard. Change is hard. Growth is hard. And, and this is something that every single one of us knows about. We know that changing is hard. We know that growing is hard. We, we look at this idea of, of being transformed within Scripture, where we are transformed in, in the image, into the image of Christ. And we look at that, we recognize that it's a, it's, it seems to be very hard, if not impossible. So why is change so hard? We know that... Ba- that we know that change is hard because we all have bad habits. Perhaps it's biting nails. We, we, we know that change is hard because we've been trying to lose weight. We've been tr- you've been trying to eat better. You, we know that change is hard because we've been trying to be less defensive in our relationships and more open to criticism. Perhaps you know that change is hard because you're trying to be less distracted and being more present. Whatever you are trying to change in your life, you know it's hard. So why is it hard? Simply put, change is hard because our habits are powerful. Let me just lean into this one idea that there there is a power to our habits. And this is a, a question that companies spend millions and millions and millions of dollars researching. Here's one story. It's a 20-year-old t- uh, story, and it's fairly well-known. And this is a story I, I've picked up from this book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. 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 Yep, Duhigg. So it's a 20-year-old story, and this is how it goes. But uh, during the 1990s, one of the largest companies in America invented this thing that would eliminate order. Odor. It was a spray. So if you would, you would uh, be around secondhand smoke or perhaps you were a smoker yourself, but you didn't want to smell like you were a smoker, you, you could just spray your clothes. And it would eliminate the smell. 
today, this product has the same brand recognition of Kleenex or Coke. And I'm talking about Febreze. But 20 years ago, no one bought it. It was a commercial failure. The marketing team, they, they knew they had a brilliant product on their hands. If only people would buy it. But no one was buying it. So this marketing team came up with these incredibly clever ads. And the one, one example would be that uh, if you were in a restaurant, you were around a, a smoker, you didn't want to smell like a smoker, so you would spray your clothes. Great. Or if you were at the gym and you, wanted, you didn't want to smell like you were just at the gym, you didn't want to smell like B.O., you would just spray your clothes. And, or if you just had pets, like you didn't want uh, your, your clothes or your house to smell like pets, well, like boom, done. It, it, it would smell like it's fresh air. But each ad failed. Each one of these ads, while they are, are really brilliant, they failed. So th these ads were true, genuine failures. And so this marketing team, they knew they had this great product, but the problem was no one was buying it. And so they were panicking. And so they, they went on to interview various customers. They would ask these, these customers these questions, but they would even uh, visit some of these customers in their own homes. And they discovered their mistake one time when these uh, researchers came into this woman's home in Phoenix. They come to this woman's home, and it's clean. It's organized. And she would describe herself as a neat freak. But one of the researchers walked into their, her house and just gagged because she lived with nine cats. And he was allergic to cats. And it's just the pet odor was overpowering to him. And so they get into the questions, and they come to this subject of pet odor, and so they ask her, what do you do about the cat smell? And she responds, oh, it is not usually a problem. I don't smell them right now. Isn't it wonderful? They hardly smell. And these researchers are like, we smell them. We're, it's overpowering. The reason why, the why Febreze was not selling, and this is what the, what the marketers realized, the reason why it wasn't selling is that people could not detect the bad smells that they were accustomed to. If you lived with nine cats, you would be desensitized to their, to their sense. If you would smoke cigarettes, you would be accustomed to smoke. You would not smell smoke anymore. Even the strongest odors would fade due to constant exposure, and that is why Febreze was a failure. The, the people that needed to buy it the most did not realize they needed it to, to, the most. And so the products, it, it was a failure. And so the, the cue that would get people to buy the product, that bad smells, the bad, that they, they were around bad smells, these bad smells were hidden from them. And Febreze reward it was meaningless to someone who could not smell offensive scents in the first place. And so the, the, the writer of this book, The Power of Habit, just points out that, that like our habits are powerful, that they're formative, and they're powerful in our lives because we are accustomed to various cues to and accustomed to rewards and responses. And so his simple point, if you want it to change, you have to take your habit seriously. That's his point. But I want to draw something out, out from this story that he shares, and it's really within Scripture. There's a, because there's a biblical answer to this question as to why change is hard. Change is hard due to our sin. It's hard for us to change some things 
because of our habits, but it's actually impossible for us to, to change in the most important ways due to our heart. Jeremiah 13, 23 says something that it goes along with the story, the Febreze story I gave to you. Jeremiah asks, can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? The answer is no. Can the leopard change his spots? The answer is no. Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Jeremiah is pointing out that we have this inability to change our skin color. It's actually how we should be looking at our hearts. We can't change certain fundamental things about ourselves. And the simple point is that we cannot change our hearts without God's intervention in our lives. We cannot change without God's grace at work in our lives in the first place. And Jesus is getting at this simple, profound reality here in, in verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He is simply pointing out that we cannot change, we cannot bear fruit unless we are connected to the vine in the first place. This brings us to our, our, our second point, is is really addressing the specific question of how can we grow. So, in other words, we have looked at the fact that change is hard, due, yes, to the power of our habits, but and also the sinfulness of our hearts. But how can we change? How can we o- overcome the sinfulness in our hearts? So this is our second point. How can we grow? And Jesus reminds his disciples of a, a, a simple truth that he said already. He says in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now one thing to know about this particular text is to know the particular context that the story is in. Ma- John 15 actually takes place in, in what's called the upper room dis- discourse. That's a fancy word that simply means this is, the, this is the table conversation that Jesus had with his disciples during the Last Supper. And John records this entire upper room discourse for us in John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. So, in other words, the Last Supper was a long co- dinner conversation. It's pretty uh, fascinating to dive in into this text with that in mind. But what I'm wanting to point out, what I want to point out to you right now, is that Jesus is actually alluding to something else that he has already told his disciples that very night. He says that already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This is something he's quoting, John 13, verse 10. He says, he says that this, is that, and you are clean. He, he's just pointing out to them that you are clean. And the simple point is that Jesus makes us clean. And this is a, theologi- a theologically loaded word. It is a loaded idea. And Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5. This just gets at just how loaded the, the fact is that we are cleaned by Jesus. Here's 2 Corinthians. For our sake he made him to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, right here, Paul is talking about Jesus, that Jesus was made to be dirty. He was made to be sinful, even though he was perfect. Jesus kept God's law in its entirety. He did not sin, and we do the opposite. 
we are sinners, we, we are broken, we do not keep any part of the law of God. And so we are sinful. And Paul is pointing out that there is this spiritual exchange going on. That Jesus is made to, Jesus, who is the perfect one, is made to be imperfect. Jesus, who is the righteous one, is made to be unrighteous. And we who are the unrighteous ones, we are who are the imperfect ones, are made to be righteous. We are made to be perfect. There is this great exchange going on so that in and through Jesus Christ you are clean. In and through Jesus Christ you are washed. In and through Jesus Christ you are pardoned. Just to put it this way, that here you are as sinners and you are guilty. But because of Jesus you are innocent. Here you are as sinners and you are guilty and you are ashamed. But because of Jesus you are pardoned. You are forgiven and you are honored. And this changes everything for us. This changes everything for us. And so here's, here's one illustration. Um, and, but as I said, let me set this illustration up for you. Because guilt in, in other, is really is knowing, is knowing that you have done wrong. That's what guilt is. And guilt makes us do stupid things. If you have a fight with a friend or a spouse, a roommate, uh, you know that in your heart that you want to hunker down. You don't want to admit that the fight is your fault. And you know something is, is, you know something is your fault. And so you respond in, in even broken ways. You, you know that you are guilty, so you respond in even broken ways. So perhaps you eat your feelings. Perhaps you look at pornography. But the reality of the gospel is that you are forgiven. You are accepted. Jesus dealt with your guilt and your shame and your innocence. That should change everything for you. And so here's the illustration that I want to dive into. And perhaps you know the writer Herman Melville. He wrote this book, Moby Dick, which was actually inspired on a, on a true, genuine story of the, of the Essex. And if you haven't read Moby Dick, that's okay. It's fantastic. But you can also watch the movie uh, called uh, the Heart, In the Heart of the Sea that tells a similar story in a different way. But the Essex was a whaling ship that encountered a deranged whale. It, this whale followed the ship, it in fact wrecked the ship so that only a handful of whalers survived. And so they were in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, thousands of miles away from help. They could die by many natural causes. They could, these, these whalers could die by heat stroke, drowning, thirst, hunger, or more. And so the, the, really the only way for them to survive is they looked at their, their truly helpless situation is to actually resort to cannibalism. And a few of these men made it back to England. At least two of them made it back to England. And so Melville, as he heard about this story, he is interviewing the last survivor who at the time of the Essex was only a teenager. He was the cabin boy. And now this cabin boy was older. He was advanced in the years. He was now married. And he is overcome with shame because of what the wrong that he did. He never told his wife the fact that he and others would resort to cannibalism. 
And so Melville drew out his story with this wonderful truth. He says, the devil loves untold secrets, especially those that torture a weary soul. And so right there we just see like this idea that our guilt and our shame just can paralyze us. But the very next thing that happened is that um, his, the cabin boy's wife was actually in, in the background. And she overheard all of this. And, and this uh, cabin boy confessed to Melville. It's like, do you, am I even lovable? Like, how do you think my wife w- would uh, receive me in this? Would she s- even be married to me? Like, he's just overcome with guilt. He's overcome with shame. And she says, you're a brave man. And we see this amazing picture of reconciliation going on between these two. But the point that I'm drawing out here is that Jesus changes everything in your life. No longer are you guilty. Instead, you are pardoned. No longer are you shamed, but you are, in fact, named as a child of God. This, so what Jesus is getting at here is that you are clean. This should impact the, the motivation of your heart. This should impact the motivation of your life. Why are you striving? Why are you, you trying to change the simple, this, this wonderful truth? enables us to actually live as free people because we are already freed by Jesus already. We know that we need to change. We know this. And perhaps you're hearing you as you hear this statement that, yes, I know I need to change, but the, the, where your mind goes next, where your heart goes next, is that where you're actually resigned. You're, you look at your life and you just have gone... Uh, have become accustomed to being skeptical. You look at your life and you're saying you're you're just you have been become used to being cynical and complacent and stagnant. You you look at your life and you're just like I you need I know I need to change, but I can't change. Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps that's you today. And I, I want to draw out an, a point from this passage that should actually give you hope. As you read this passage, as you look at this passage, change is a fact. Growth is a fact if you are in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, the point is you are going to spiritually grow and change. That is a given from this passage. And so as you look at your life, and you, perhaps you, you look at your life and you're, you see yourself still struggling with uh, anxiety, or perhaps you're struggling in your life with anger, perhaps you're, you're struggling in your life with being defensive or lust or something else entirely, what I want to point out to you is like, what's the rest of your life look like? Perhaps you're, you actually have tunnel vision where you are just looking at one thing, and yes, you may not be seeing a lot of change in that one area of life, but look at the rest of your life. Are you changing and growing in the rest of your life? And more often than not, the answer is you are growing and changing, and the Holy Spirit's doing a wonderful work. But what that, that but because, but the one thing of, of being, of the one thing about having tunnel vision that we don't often realize is that that is actually a lie of the devil that is meant to actually discourage us. Jesus tells us that we're going to grow, we're going to change, and Jesus tells us these things in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
The thing, friends, that the devil does not want you to have is joy. That's a fact. And so, per, so consider your life. Consider like whether or not that you are, you are actually being deceived by the devil and that you are actually growing and changing the, in the rest of, of your life. And so like this, this entire passage drenches with hope. You should, if you know Jesus, then you should actually expect growth and see change in your life. Because what Jesus is doing in your life is that he opens up to you a brand new way of living. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Jesus Christ, is what Paul tells us. You are innocent. God holds no bitterness to you. You are fully forgiven. You are honored. You are named. And so what Jesus goes on as he is talking to his disciples, he actually goes on to give us some specific steps to us to help us grow in, in him. And so this is, so what can we specifically do? We, so the point is that we grow, we change by abiding in Christ. But what's that look like for us? What's it look like for us to experience the fact that Jesus has cleansed us from our sin? So there's three things that Jesus gives to us. Three things. First thing that I just want to point out to you is in verse 7. If you abide in me and, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, right here, Jesus is pointing out that if we want to grow, we need to abide in his word. We need to abide in his word. And so he, here's the question I want to put before you. If you... Read scripture. How do you read scripture? How do you read the Bible? Because there is a way to read the Bible for information, and there is a way to read the Bible for transformation. Oftentimes we read the Bible for information, and so we, we ask these good and essential questions of, like, of what is going on in the text? What's the context? What is the there, therefore? We ask these good and important and essential questions to understand scripture, but we think we mistakenly think that's the end-all, be-all to our scripture reading. Scripture is actually where God is revealing himself to us so that we would have life with him. That's what scripture is, is given for. Scripture is given so that we would have life with God. And, and so in other words, the first thing to recognize about scripture is that scripture is given so that you would have a relationship with God. And so the very first thing that you need to do as you realize that Scripture is given to you so that you would have a relationship with, with God is to worship Him. That's the, the very first thing that you can do to experience the grace of God is to worship Him. And so Jesus is saying, abide to remain in His Word. And one of the, just simply put, the first thing that we can do to really experience God's grace is by worshiping Him and, and abiding in His Word. So that's the, fir the first thing. That's verse 7. The second thing comes to us in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So, so the second thing that Jesus tells us is that we need to abide in his love. Jesus does not love you because of your love for him. That's a fantastic truth. Jesus does not love you because of your love for him. He loves you because he loves you. That's the logic of the gospel. That's the logic of this passage. We abide in Christ's love because Christ first loved us. 
And our, our life with God is not built upon ideas or, or simple information. Instead, our life with God completely depends upon God's grace to broken, sinful people. We have life with God not because we read scripture or practice spiritual disciplines or do any other things, but because of what Jesus did for us upon the cross. And so what Jesus is, is saying to us is like, do we truly understand what Jesus has done for us? And Jesus knows that our default, our, the, the thing that's natural for us is, for, to, is to really drift away from his love. To drift away into religiosity or moralism or legalism or to, to drift away in some other way entirely. And so Jesus is telling us, abide in my love Continue to tell yourself that you are loved by me. Do not move on from that premise ever. So in other words, Jesus' love for us is not just important to us in when we come to know Jesus for the first time and say in our conversion. But instead, the love of God is vital and necessary for us in the entirety of our Christian life. If we want to grow in Christ, we need to know his love for us. And we can never move on from that. That's the second thing. But then the third thing that uh, Jesus gets into, the, the third thing that you can do to experience God's grace is by abiding in community. And Jesus goes on and talks about this in verses 12 through 17, and he says that we are called, that we need one another to grow in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me, put this, let me flip this around for you in a different way. Think about this question. Do you need other Christians to grow? Do you need other Christians involved in your life to grow? Lifeway Research, uh, this is a, uh, I'm, I'm, this, I got, the, um, Stan Gale sent me this article uh, last week, and th this article just points out what I'm about to tell you. And Lifeway Research, this is the research organization overseen by the Southern Baptist Convention, they asked this question and many other questions as they uh, were surveying uh, churches and Christians. But Lifeway Research found that 52% of Christians that, that they surveyed do not intentionally spend time with other Christians to help them grow in their faith. So in other words, only 48% of, of Christians realized and the important truth that they need other Christians to help them grow in their faith and then intentionally shape their life around that premise. To, to, to go on, something else that they found out as they asked this question is that 65% of churchgoers agreed with the statement that you can walk with God without other Christians. So Jesus is actually saying something very different here. Jesus is actually saying one sign that you are growing in my love, one sign that you are abiding in my word, is by the quality of our relationships with other Christians. So do you think that you can truly love one another, a command given to us by Jesus in this very text, by just showing up on a Sunday morning? Is showing up to worship for two hours all it takes for us to lay down your life for your friends, is that what is that the 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 quality 
and the sum of our Christian discipleship. And so as we think about ironworks, like one of the questions I get asked the most about ironworks is, is about the name. Where does ironworks come from? Like, and I admit, it's a, it's a very unusual name. And it goes back to this proverb in the Old Testament that as iron sharpens iron, two, like two brothers need one another. And it's the entire premise of ironworks is that we need each other to grow in our walk with God. We need each other. We need a community. We need the body of Christ. And so this is why we put an emphasis on our community group life. If you are going to grow in your faith, if you're going to overcome the, whatever struggles you have, whether it be cynicism or apathy or being complacent or a, a sin, then you need to realize that you actually depend on your Christian brothers and sisters. In other words, the church community, the church is not incidental. It's not just something you can pick up and put down. It's not something that you can really move from one church to another. It's the church of God, of God the, your brothers and sisters, is, is something that you absolutely need to grow in your Christian life. And so this coming year at Ironworks, we're doing something new in our church life. We're doing something different that actually takes this entire scope of abiding in, in God's word, abiding in, God, in Christ's love, and abiding in community seriously. And what I'm specifically talking about is our DNA groups. And you've, if you've been around for the past couple of weeks, perhaps months, you've heard about these, but these DNA groups are discipleship cohorts of men and women. Of three to five, each group has three to five men or three to five women that meets to discuss life, and scripture together and they take place within community groups and so the ideal scenario is that the same people that you are in a dna group you're also in a community group the same people that you are diving into scripture together are the same people whom you are serving alongside one another and eating meals with together as well they're also the same people that you worship alongside on sundays and so in other words, we're, like if you think about your monthly schedule, that if you're involved in the, the community life in Ironworks, you're seeing this, like, roughly the same people eight times in each given month. That is actually closer to the ideal of, of loving one another and being able to lay down your life for one another. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. And just to like, kind of like pull us all together, we need one another to grow in Jesus Christ. And the simple fact is that when each of us do this, when each and every single one of us leans into, in Christ, into Christ's community, when each and every single one of us remain and dwell within God's word, we are actually going to be positioned to speak God's love in truth to one another. We're able to speak God's words of grace into our lives. And so what happens over time is that not will we be changing as individuals, we will be changing as a group of people where we see God forms us into a new people that's centered on faith and grace and hope and love. And that is exactly the type of church culture that every single one of us needs to grow. And it's all because the Spirit is at work in our life. And, but it's 
the Spirit is at work in our life because of this wonderful truth that I've said over and over again this morning. And the wonderful truth is that we are able to grow in the, in, in the very first place. The reason why we're able to grow is that we are loved by God. We are forgiven, and we are honored and named. That is the wonderful news of the gospel, and that is the impetus and the cause and the reason why we are able to grow in the first place. Let's pray.